Okay, morning agenda. Okay, so we're going to be talking about the fund, market analysis, commentary, mortgage pool, real estate. Well, you can read it. That, so that's our morning agenda. Uh, we also have them printed out. Here's our afternoon agenda uh, with, our, with our speakers. Okay, and, um, um, and I, I want to now talk about our speakers. We're not going to bring them on, on stage because, just because. Mr. John Hornick. Uh, John is a real estate attorney. He is the president of Navasek River Capital. He's the two-term mayor of Marlboro Township, New Jersey. Three-time mayor, excuse me. I didn't, even get, I, I didn't get invited to his little dinner thing tonight, so he's got to like make sure. All right, thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you have not heard John Hornick speak, and this is your first time, you are in for a treat. This man is, is in my opinion, the most knowledgeable. The, 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 the delivery of information is so point on point. You're in for a real treat this morning. So John has been with us for many years as our featured speaker. Uh, A.J. Poulin, uh, he's going to be speaking uh, Jeff Tesh will be speaking, uh, John Tedesco, uh, Joe Ford, is that Joe Ford? That's Joe Block, did I just miss? I have Joe Ford here, all right, and Joel Block, okay, there we go. David Owen will be speaking, Wendy Sweet will be speaking. Uh, Ross Hamilton, Connected Investors, just had a, and Yoram, hey Yoram.com, Yoram, make sure I got everybody, okay, great. Um, here's how our speaking works. We have, we have four speakers that actually speak and give a presentation, and what we found is those are great, those are really good, and then we have five that we're actually doing what we call one-on-one -on -one interviews, kind of like a 60-minute thing, like Mike Wallace, 60-minute only, you know, friendly. And we're going to ask the kind of questions that somebody in this audience were to ask. And so those are short segments, but they're going to be really powerful. So we keep the event going very, very quickly. Got to keep it going very, very quickly. Um, you know what I realized a number of years ago is? is that having control of your business is an integral part of being successful, having control. So I'm going to start off with this. He who underwrites your deals owns you, owns your business, and owns your future. He who underwrites your deals. I want you to just like digest that for a minute. He who underwrites your deals owns you, owns your future, and owns your business. Now, everyone here is at a different level, right? Some people are brokers. Some people are hedge fund guys. Some people are um, um, guys who wear money suits. Everyone's at a kind of a different level and here for a different reason. Sometimes people come to our event with one idea in mind and realize that after being exposed to some new concepts, thoughts, and ideas, that they're actually here for another reason. But I use this comment that I want to say in terms of whoever underwrites your business owns your future 
because I truly believe that. Some people will have an aha moment like the Bylers did. Bylers came to the event. You see how I, 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 I flow that into the thing to give you a little press on here? It's an old, okay, you guys don't get it. Anyways, uh, the Bylers came and they had an aha moment. They said, you know what? That's exactly what we're looking for. We did a real estate fund for them. Now we're just getting, we're, I think, a week away from uh, uh, the capital raise. And some people are kind of like a wet, soggy fuse. You have to keep lighting that fuse over and over. At some point, it explodes. It took Sam six years before he did a real estate fund with us. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that there's a lot of different ways of building a business in the private lending field. But the one common denominator is that you must have a certain amount of control and vision and execution. Because success in the private lending field does not come just because you're there. You have to make things happen. And making things happen under a good, solid business model is the key. Do you agree with me? Well, give me a hell yes. All right, thank you. Okay. Our business is all about leverage. Now, when I say all about leverage, what I mean, most people would think, oh, leverage meaning using other people's capital to leverage. Well, yeah, yeah. It also means leveraging your efforts. Not necessarily from a monetary standpoint, but leveraging your efforts. Our business is based on leverage. Leverage of allowing an investor to invest with you so they can leverage their capital. Okay, that would be leverage. Uh, using somebody like Rock Capital or Bank of Internet. Where's Rock Capital? Where's Eric Abramovich? Is Eric here? Eric Abramovich. If you're a hard money lender, by the way, and you're looking for leverage, uh, warehouse lines of credit, he's your guy. Where's Taylor Osborne from Bank of, of B of I Federal Bank? Right there, Taylor Osborne. These are the two guys that you go to to build your business. Now, they don't loan to the borrowers, they loan to the lenders. A few years ago, we didn't have that, right? So the 2008 real estate implosion, you know, that didn't exist. It went away. But now it's coming back smarter, crisper, clearer, and better. But our business is about leverage. Now, the three most important assets in your business, the three most important assets that you have to have in your business in order to succeed is, one is, your business must be pleasurable. If your business is pleasurable, then you're going to have your heart and your soul into it right? It has to be pleasurable. The next thing is, it has to be comfortable. You must be comfortable with the business model. You must be comfortable with the people that you work with. You must be comfortable in the industry itself. If you're not receiving pleasure, if you're not comfortable in your business, then you should probably think about something else. And it must be profitable. How many people are in a business where they love it, Love the business, they receive pleasure from it, they receive comfort from it, but guess what? They're not making any money. Well, you're not making any money? Let me tell you what, you're a clown. 
you need to like move on and figure something else out. Because if you're not profitable, what's the whole purpose? Business is about doing commerce and producing a profit. That's what business is for a for-profit business. So it must be pleasurable, comfortable, and profitable. I said this before, he who underwrites your business owns you, owns your business, and owns your future. I said it before, I'm going to say it again, and I'll probably say it a couple more times throughout this event. The culture of any organization is shaped by the worst behavior the leader is willing to tolerate. So just think about that for a minute. If you have somebody that works for you that is not producing, that's creating drama in your office, that doesn't share the same vision you have, guess what? Your organization is shaped by the worst behavior that you're willing to tolerate. I don't know if that has anything to do with what we're talking about today. I just think that's an important slide. Okay, that's a personal slide I'm going to put in. Now, 85% of your financial success is due to your personality and ability to communicate and negotiate. Shockingly, only 15% is due to technical knowledge. You've seen the guy, the guy who's a professor at the university. He's got the technical knowledge. But if you put him out in the real world, he's going to melt like cheap lard on a hot grill. Because our business is about communication. It's about your ability to share concepts, ideas, and thoughts in a way where it's receptive. Only 15% of success is based on your technical knowledge. I totally believe that. I mean, I, I totally believe that. How many people agree with that? Give me a hell yes if you agree with that. Give me a hell no if you, if you disagree. It's okay. Disagree. I mean, we have the exit door right over here. Never disagree with the guy on the stage. I'm just kidding when I say that. I want to bring you back to 1962. It was the winner of 1962. It was 40 below zero, Minnesota. I was 10 years old. My mother was a single mom. We didn't have a lot of money. And it was a blizzard. And I said, you know, I see an opportunity to make some money here. I'm going to go shovel some driveways. So I go over two houses down and go to Max Rutman's house. Uh, hey, Mr. Rutman. He says, hey, hello, Lenny. I was referred to as Lenny back in those days. And I said, I see you've got, you know, snow drifts and so forth. They had a long driveway. You know, I'd I like to earn some money and shovel your driveway. He says, all right, that's fine. But just something you need to know. I said, well, what is that? He said, underneath the snow is a sheet of ice, so I'd like you to chop that up also. It's 40 below wind chill. I said, oh, not knowing what he was even talking about and shovel in hand, I proceeded. Six hours later, I finished. Now, during those six hours, not once did Max Rutman come out and offer me hot chocolate, something to eat. Once in a while, I would see him peek through, you know, like this. Six hours later. So weary, 
tired, hungry, thirsty, and cold, I knock on his door. Mr. Ruppman, uh, I just finished. Did he invite me in for, for a hot chocolate or say good job? No. He said, give me just a moment as I'm standing outside with like icicles on my face. And he comes back to me and he says, thank you very much, and hands me $3. Now, $3 is not a lot of money today, and it wasn't a lot of money in 1962. Now, I put on this slide that Max Ruttman cheated me. Actually, Max Ruttman did me one of the best favors I've ever received. And that is, is that he made it clear to me that if you do not have a meaning of the minds in terms of what's expected, in terms of what the compensation is, how it's going to be paid, what are the details, then shame on me. And here I am, 64 years old, and a lot of years later, and I'm still talking about Max Ruppman. So our business is all about the money is made in the details, disclosed, discussed, hashed out, negotiated. That is what makes a solid deal and keeps business relationships and friends. Right? You agree with me, Sammy? To know where we are today is to understand where we were eight years ago. People talk about the real estate implosion. There was no real estate implosion, my judgment. People talk about, oh, well, you know, Leonard, you know, I would come to your conference, but I went bankrupt in 2008 because the market conditions did this to me. Oh, you know what? Wrong. The market conditions did nothing. You had a flawed business model, my friend. Take responsibility for that. If you have a solid business model, it should withstand the test of time, whether we have an up market, down market, or the market is going sideways. Agree or disagree? S disagree. Okay, that's fine. If you have a solid business model and you're not greedy, and you are looking out for the best interests of your investors as well as your own best interests, those situations, in my judgment, should not happen. Let me tell you something. I'm on the golf course about eight years ago. My brother calls me, and he said, uh, where, where, when's your next event? I said, uh, it's next week at the Monte Carlo Hotel. He said, uh, I thought so. Were you aware that the Monte Carlo is literally on fire right now? Do you guys remember that? Okay. The Monte Carlo is on fire. Now, eight, nine years ago, we didn't even have smartphones, right? I mean, we didn't even have it. So I get off the golf course. By the way, I was having the round of my life, but that's besides the point. I get off the golf course. I go, I, 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 I go home, and I start calling my contact people to Monte Carlo. Can't get a hold of anybody. So, hmm, I got an event next week. So what do I do here? Hmm, let me call the one person that would know, and that's the fire marshal in Las Vegas. I go, uh, hi, this is Mr. Leonard. Oh, hi, Mr. Leonard. Um, 
of an event at the Monte Carlo. Just kind of curious. I don't know the extent of the fire. I see it on CNN and so forth. Uh, do you think they're, they're going to be open next week? I have an event. He said uh, they won't be open for at least three months, sir. Uh, and we had about 200 people that we had to move over to another hotel. Now, most people would have crumbled under that. My point is I had a business model that I knew if something went wrong, I had some place to go. I always have that. Always have a second backup plan. If I have to have that event in the parking lot, I'll have the event in the parking lot and have a tent put up and make sure that everybody brings their bathing suit. But my point is, is that when I look at the 2008 real estate implosion, I call it the 2008 implosion of poor thinking. That's what I think. You can think what you want. That's what I think. Private money financing is the go-to source in today's market. I represent a bank in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, on a, various of issues. And I had a conversation with these guys um, uh, about three, four months ago. And I said, why, why aren't you lending? He said, we love to lend. We would love to lend. Do rehabs like RCN does and some of the, you know, some of the other sponsors here. He said, it's not for lack of want. It's for lack of regulatory agencies down our back. That's who prevents us from deploying capital in the market. Which is great for our business because it creates a void in the marketplace. And this is going to be around for a long time in my judgment. When you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person that walked in. That's what the storm is all about. When I take a look at the 2008 implosion of bad judgment, I think about walking into the storm. You walk into the storm, you think it's something that's bad, but really, it's a gift because you come out stronger. Real estate market, sweet spots. Look, I never thought I would say this because I was, uh, you know, a commercial guy in terms of talking to our attendees at the event for years, but this, this whole rehab thing is huge. It's huge. God, who do I sound like when I say that? It's huge, and the Pope will be, they have walls. No, I'm sorry, I'm getting off on something else. Anyways, uh, $250,000 is certainly a sweet spot. One to $5 million for commercial. You know, these screwy deals that, we receive at our office, and I'm sure some of the lenders, oh, I have a $40 million coal mine in Tennessee. I'm looking for financing. I have no money down, but, you know, it's valued at $80 million. Oh, okay, yeah, well, let me get right on that because I'm going to drop all my other files and get right on that. Uh, so, homie doesn't play that game. Now, this is, um, this is an illustration of real estate values and the... And <laughs> Oh, it's okay to laugh. That's what keeps me going here. And you can see on the real estate valuations, the forecast year to change. I mean, California up 10%. Florida, I can't even read it. What's it say? 9%. You can see the rest. Hey, guys, uh, regardless of, of naysayers, these are projections, obviously, and not statistics. But you know what? We... We live in the United States of America. 
And our economy is great for our business. And I see nothing but blue skies and sunshine, so put your sunglasses on because success is here to stay. Real estate is still the best investment. Your approach and strategy may have to be changed, but it's still the best investment. I never made a dime in the, in the equities market. It's just not my deal. I don't like anyone else controlling my dollars and cents. I like to be able to control my own, and I love, I love real estate in that regard. New opportunities, crowdfunding, we'll be talking about that today. At the end of this day, real estate valuation and investment capital will always be the key. What's the two parts to a real estate deal? Certainly for in the private money sector. What are the two parts? One, you got to have the deal. That's a deal flow side. Two, you have to have the capital. If you don't have the capital, you can't do the deal. If you don't have the deal, you can have all the capital you want. Those are the two things. But evaluation of that asset is the key. And that's why Appraisal Nation is going to be speaking to that subject matter. But that is the, that is the underbelly of our industry, is the real estate valuation. What is the true value of that asset? The true value. The true value, once we establish the fire sale price of that asset, then we can talk about underwriting the deal. You agree? You agree? Jeez, it's like pulling teeth here. All right, okay. So my question is, is your business model current to take advantage of emerging opportunities? Because market conditions always change. So ask yourself this question. The way I'm doing business today, is my business model structured and positioned to take advantage of the emerging opportunities in today's marketplace? Because there's only three things your business can do. There's only three things it can do. Your business can improve, it can go south, or it can stay the same. And stay the same means it's going south because the market's changing. So you have to ask yourself that question. Have I positioned my business? Now, this is the interesting part. The way you establish, the way you establish change is not changing your business, it's changing what? It's changing your thinking. Great minds, Socrates, and some of the other people, I have no idea who they are, are people that have great minds and vision. And, and many of us follow their lead. But the ones who actually have great minds and understand where things are going and project where market conditions are going, understand that you have to change your thinking first. Not your business. You have to change the way you approach yourself individually. What do I want out of life? What do I want out of my business? How much do I want to work? How much am I committed? Those are personal issues. So when people talk about changing your business model, I don't even know what that means. You have to change your thinking process. 
your thoughts, your concepts, your ideas that enter your mind, and then from there you formulate, and then from there you're able to create a more structured, positive, innovative business model. So my question to you is, is your business model or investment strategy operating on desperation or inspiration? If it's operating on inspiration, that's a good thing. If it's operating on desperation, guess what? You can change that. You don't change the business, you change your thinking. You change your thinking. Why do two people in the same market selling the same product have different outcomes? Why is that? Think about it. Same market. Same product they sell. And one guy is driving a Maserati and living the high life. And the other guy is driving... Um, go ahead, say it. Uh, well, Honda's actually not a bad car, though. A fiat, or whatever, okay? Why is that? Because, because the one guy who's on Oak Street has a different model than the guy in Maple Street. It's a different deal, same product, but they have different outcomes. So think about that for a minute. Why does Joe Smith... Oh, wait, I got a better one. Why does Janoop in Kuwait make more money than Janoop on the west side of Kuwait? Well, maybe that's not a good example. All right, let's move on. Okay. I've always believed specialized rather than generalized. Wayne Gretzky, arguably the best hockey player of all time, openly admitted, he says, I'm not the fastest skater, I'm not the best puck handler, I'm not the biggest, and I'm not the strongest. But I knew where that puck was going to be three or four moves before my opponents did. He specialized. Specialization. You can't be everything to everybody. Being niche is, in my judgment, a much better approach. So your strategy, your approach, and your execution is the key in the private lending business. Strategy. And then how are you going to approach it? And then you execute. Some people do one and two, never do the execution part. Well, you know what? Then you end up with, you know, those, you know, your, your results will be reflective of that. We're all here for a different reason. That's clear. We're all here for a different reason. Some brokers are looking for funding sources. Funding sources are looking for deal flow. There's people looking for investment capital. All, that's all great. We're all here for different reasons. So when you come to this event, I just ask that you keep an open mind because we're going to get into some very, very cutting-edge stuff. New ideas, people are here to network, looking for investors, looking for deal flow. That's all, that's all great. So my question to you is you want to be a big boy? You want to be a big boy. Do you want to be a big girl? You want to be a big girl? You want to be a big boy? If you want to be a big girl, you want to be a big boy, you have to change things around. And that's what we're here to talk about. And we're going to talk about the fun.
private placement offerings. There is no vehicle, no idea, no concept that is stronger, more powerful, and will withstand the test of time than creating your own fund. Now, what does that mean? What that means is, for the purpose of this discussion, what that means is you're essentially opening your own bank. You open your own bank, just like the just like Rudy Byler did and Brian Byler. You open up your own bank. So instead of having depositors, you have investors. Now, obviously, when a depositor or an investor deploys capital with you, they want a return. Okay? They want a fair return. Okay? Just like if you buy a CD or money market certificate, they want a fair return. And then you, as the president of your bank, you'd redeploy that capital at a lower or a higher rate than what you pay your investor. Huh? Well, Bernie Sanders would be lower. Some other people would be higher. And you know, I respect Bernie Sanders. Don't get me wrong. I'm, not, I'm just kidding. I'm just having fun here. But my point is, is that investors deposit capital with you. You redeploy the capital at a higher rate, and then you earn the arbitrage spread in between in addition to all the other fees and blah, blah, blah. That's the basic idea here. Got a lot of people in this room that did real estate funds that John Hornick and I helped create. And you can raise capital in U.S. for the Australian market. Just saying. Because I was actually had a conversation with John Hornick about that a couple of days ago. The fund is the most powerful platform for generating revenue and establishing a long-term uh, revenue stream. Now, I don't like any business model that only has one revenue stream. I think that's dangerous because what happens if that revenue stream dries up on you, right? Right? I mean, it's kind of a clown deal, right? So we want to have multiple revenue streams. So why not create a business model that we can receive origination points when we originate the loan, all the junk fees that are associated with that, arbitrage spread, management fees, service fees, loan extension fees, 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 fees. fees. The idea behind a real estate fund is you take a little bit here, a little bit over here, just a touch over here, so nobody really feels a little bit here, and all those add up to a lot. And your investor is getting a fair return, and it's being, it's being underwritten professionally, and it's, it's, it's you know, a first deeds of trust. You know, it's just, it, it works. It works great for the investor. It works great for the fund manager. This model will withstand the test of time. The fund is your ticket to the promised land. I just love that slide, by the way. And, 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 and every time we sit through and go through the slide, Julie sits down next to me and we both look at each other and said, we love that slide. Okay, it's just self-indulgent. Okay, the fun, opportunities and benefits. A pile of rocks ceases to be a pile of rocks when someone uses their imagination to do something with it. 
Let that sink in for just a moment. Just a pile of rocks until somebody goes and says, you know what, I can build something with that pile of rocks. I can take that pile of rocks and build something and rent it out or resell it or whatever. How many opportunities pass you by because you never executed on it? I mean, in my lifetime, a lot. When I look back, I mean, I wouldn't change anything, but I look back and I go, I wish I would have taken advantage of that or taken advantage of, of this. I'm going to bring you back, not to 1962, but I'll bring you all the way back to 1933. Who's buried in Grant's tomb? Who? Grant. So the 1933 Securities Act was in what year? 1933. This is a great crowd. I gave you a crack. Because I, I, you know, I, I do that at other events and I go, was it like 1924? Okay. So 1933, there was called the 1933 Securities Act. And that basically said, that basically said that you could raise money for a fund. Now, hear, hear me. This is really important. I love the big smile right there. The gentleman right there. Oh, by the way, I don't, have you seen Fiddler on the Roof? Because we have the star over here. Would you stand up so everybody can see the Fiddler on the Roof? Okay. All right. Anyways, 1933, they said you could raise, you can raise capital, okay, for a fund to, to redeploy, but you cannot advertise it to the general public. You can, not only can you not advertise it to the general public, but you can only talk to people that are known to you. Known persons is what it's called. And they must be accredited. And since 1933, that's how real estate funds has, um, has operated. Until 2014 when the Jobs Act came in and they changed it since 1933 that says, wait a minute, we're going to make a new classification of 506C, which allows you to advertise worldwide. Advertise. You can stand on the highest building in the land. You can, you, you, you can be on Voice America. You can be in the Wall Street Journal, on your website and so forth. Still, investors have to be accredited. Accreditation changed a little bit where it used to be where the investor would tell you that they're accredited. Okay, now the burden falls on you to verify their accreditation. But outside of that, you can advertise. We do more real estate funds now than we have ever done. There's so much liquidity in the marketplace. So much liquidity in the marketplace. And now it, it, can't, it doesn't have to be Aunt Betty and two people from your church and somebody from, you know, parents of the softball team that you coach, that you can advertise it. Change everything. Literally change everything. So now in 2016, you can really market it in a very different way rather than just angel investors, people that are known to you. It's just huge. Huge. Is that Donald Trump or Bernie? Who does that? Or is it Bernie mocking Donald Trump? Bernie mocking, okay. Okay. I'm going to get off this political thing. First thing she said, no Jewish jokes. No, there's a Julie no, no chewing gum on stage and stay away from politics. Well, I got two of them down. 
There are two major revenue streams, whoops. There's two major revenue streams generated from the fund. Everybody gets the first one. The first revenue stream, everyone seems to use and understand. Lending, interest rates and origination points. Everybody gets that, that's easy, right? But, it's the second revenue stream that's the big secret that nobody gets and utilizes. The money is made on the back end of a private money loan. The, I'm going to say it again. The money is made on the back end of a private money loan. Yes, you get origination points at the beginning and you get some fees. Yeah, I get that. But that's not where the money's made. The money's made on the back end. Management fees, service fees, arbitrage spread, loan extension fees, 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 fees. That's, that's how money is made. I'm surprised. I am shocked at how few people in our industry, and I'm even talking about, I, I'm, I'm referring to experienced hard money lenders. They take a loan, they find an investor, they originate it, and sell the loan. You're selling gold. Why would you do that? You're selling gold. You're selling your revenue streams. Hello, knock, knock, hello, McFly, McFly. Servicing your investors and servicing your loans is where the money's made. So let's say, for example, I have a real estate fund that I've raised $30 million. Now, $30 million is not a lot for a real estate fund. We have a client down in Florida, Banker South, that we did a fund for. They raised two hundred. Oh, wait, let me do this. Dr. Evil. $250 million. Now, if you receive a point and a half for management of that fund, and a point and a half for servicing the fund, so you, you know, you're servicing the investors and you're managing the fund. So they earn, or somebody who had a $250 million fund, you would earn, are you ready for this? Three points off the top just for management. So forget about origination, forget about arbitrage spread. Three points off the top just for having a superior business concept and thought process. Three points on 250 million per annum is what? Oh, I like this. I like, did you put your socks on? I love it. He's wearing the Donald Trump socks. I love it. I love you. Jews love me. Hispanics love me. Uh, <laughs> I got to stop with this because I know I'm going to offend somebody. I have to stop. Leonard. Mr. Leonard, stop. Would your income grow if you could fund your own deals, service your clients, and service your loans? Would it? In the private speaking business, that pause is something you do to allow everybody to digest it. Sometimes... Being quiet is more powerful. 
See, because with a fund, you're building a long-term business platform and not just hustling deals, okay? I got a guy that calls me every six months. Leonard, I came to your event seven, eight years ago. I learned a lot. I made a million bucks last year originating private money loans. Oh, that's great. That's great, Harv. That, that's great. How much money do you have in the bank right now? Well, you know, we bought a house and, you know, we bought a boat and so forth, but, you know, we're going to have another big year. So basically what he's saying to me, I'm hustling deals and I'm not building a business. How many guys make a million dollars a year, but you ask them how much they have and they can't rub two nickels together? There's a difference between hustling deals and building a business. A very, very big difference. Because when you build a business, you build it because you've changed your thinking process about how you view your professional career and your personal life. You make a decision to make something change. Hustling deals is okay, but guess what? You'll be climbing that mountain every year. The idea of having multiple revenue streams come in, in my judgment, is a much, much better approach. The ability, the fund, is the ability to invest your time funding deals rather than looking for funding sources. I mean, if I were brokering hard money, I, I do two things, right? I go to Pier Street and RCN and Lending Home and all the other uh, uh, A-list partners and so forth, and, and that's great. But the same amount of energy it is to find a hard money lender to, phone to, to, to fund a deal, you could be spending, the spending that same amount of time finding an investor to deploy capital into your fund. Hello? Just, just a thought. You have the freedom to underwrite your deal without third-party approval. The ability to di you dictate origination points and interest rates. You profit from the arbitrage spread, and you gain revenue from management and service fees. How are we doing on time, Julie? My forward or my head or behind? Little behind. Okay, I'm going to talk really fast now. The ability to earn residual income, the ability to create a long-term business model with multiple revenue streams rather than moving from one deal to the next. Are you guys flowing with me here? Are you? You're flowing with me? The ability to acquire a wide range of assets. Having a successful fund requires thought, preparation, and vision. Now, why do I call it the most powerful platform? There's basically three kinds of funds. Reg D, A, which you can raise a million dollars. Who wants to do that? Reg B, where you can't advertise. Reg C, which is the new one, where now you can. You know what I told you guys last time? I don't think you're ready. I actually think this is something you guys should actually think about. Aaron O and White Belt Nick. I actually think it's something you could think about. Maybe not right now, but as you move forward. You know what I mean? As you move forward. Would love to be your age again with the information that I have. Conquer the frickin' world. A mortgage pool fund is lending on real estate assets, okay? So you can lend on commercial, rehab, develop, undeveloped land, resident. But a real estate fund 
is that plus you can acquire real estate for the purpose of holding, improving, and reselling, acquisition of individual tapes or REOs, acquisition of performing, non-performing notes, invest in short sale, whatever you want, whatever legal purpose you can do with a real estate fund. And you know the beauty of this is you don't need a securities license. You don't even need a mortgage broker's license because you're a lender, you're a, you're a portfolio manager. Now there are some other licensings and so forth and state specific and we could certainly you know, address those issues. So who's the players in the fund? One is, whoops. Okay, one is the business architect. That's normally something that I do. Then you have the attorney, you have your capital investor, who's your investor, you have your servicer, your CPA, you have your broker who brings you deal flow and the fund manager. That's it. Those are, those are the players that make it up. The business architect defines the function and the purpose of the fund and creates the business model in which you operate under. They can also assist in raising investment capital. It's a little tricky there because in, in, in raising capital, uh, in order to pay someone, to raise capital for you, just as just as just kind of a heads up, they have to be either a Security Seven, uh, hold a Security Seven broker's license, or they're a full-time W-2 employee of your company. The business architect defines the function and the purpose of the fund and creates a business model for which you operate creates the platform for the revenue streams, creates the investor relations packets, creates the underwriting guidelines, creates products and acquisitions, provides fatal flaw review process. What is that? Fatal flaw review process is a process that we kind of patented. It's not really patented, but it's something that we do. Investors want to know, investors want to know, how does your business operate? Every deal that comes in should be underwritten on a 21-step process. So an investor looks at the deal or looks at, looks at the fatal flaw review process and it says every deal goes through the same underwriting process. So nobody's dealing from the hip. You don't send a letter of interest until you have A, B, and C. You don't send a letter of commitment until the appraisal's been done, so forth and so on. So every deal, it's like McDonald's, every deal goes through the exact same process. The architect sticks in the creating a board of directors or an advisory board. Look, you can't do this by yourself. Well, you can actually. But I don't think you want to. I think what you want to do is create a board of advisors. A board of advisors is a board that you create from five different sectors of the industry. Somebody from banking, somebody from mortgage, somebody from title escrow, somebody from appraisal, um, somebody from um, uh, accounting. And these board of advisors, which is very prestigious being on a board, they're, they're not compensated, nor do they have any liability, but you take them out once a quarter, you take them to Ruth Chris for a big boy steak and a martini, whatever they like, you take them out, and you discuss, you 
take company notes, you know, you put it down in your notes, and, and, and what it does is it's a healthy exchange of ideas. They, the, the board of advisors, get the prestige of being on a board, and your investors get the assurance that you're not a lone wolf and that you're taking advice, recommendation, and counsel from your board of uh, advisors. That's something I came up with about 10 years ago. And then you have to have a digital shadow. A digital shadow defines who you are to the world. We'll be talking more about digital shadows in the afternoon session. But the days of doing deals at, at the restaurant in the morning, writing things down on, on a, a on a back of a, a napkin, I'm sure there's people that still do that, but you won't get very far with that. It's a very sophisticated market right now, and you have to be at the cutting edge of that level of sophistication and understand it. Uh, also, the architect provides recommendations on accounting and servicing. The attorney formats the actual offering. Actual offering is like 60 pages. A lot of legal mumbo-jumbo, but, but the heart of it basically tells the world, here's who we are, here's the kind of assets that we're interested in, here's the kind of dividend yield that we're going to pay out, here's, here's the uh, 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 amount of the offering, whether it be $20 million or $100 million, right? It discloses everything. Is it a marketing document? No, not by any means. It's a very important document that you have to have that, that John Hornet creates. We create a PowerPoint to market, but the actual offering circular is a very, very important document. And then he, the attorney creates a subscription agreement. A subscription agreement is, if you ever bought a mutual fund or a money market certificate, it says, you know, how much you're going to invest over what period of time. You can buy a two-year CD, three years over. And the same thing holds true for this. That's what the subscription agreement is. And then the, the, the third thing is, is create an operating agreement. Here's how it works, guys, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and people with money suits on. You create an LLC over here. That LLC is the bank. That is where the money is deployed, right? That's where the money is deployed from the investors, the LLC over here. Over here is your management company. That management company, because of the operating agreement, has the ability to deploy the capital over here into the marketplace based on the representations you've made in the circular offering itself. So if you say that we're going to do rehab, fix, and flips, you can't go and buy yachts and airplanes for the purpose of buying and reselling. Okay? The two have to match up. That's what it is. That's how that works. The servicer provides... The servicer provides servicing for the loans and servicing for the investors. Look, I'm not here to sell you anything, but if you're working off of an Excel spreadsheet and you've got multiple investors, you need to, like, step it up. Because you'll never, ever take it past a certain level. You have to be able to have 
a platform whereby your investor, who can be who can be cruising in the Caribbean, chilling out with a Mai Tai with his wife, that can log in and see everything that's going on in his account. So, so important. I mean, maybe years ago you could, you know, do this on Excel spreadsheet, but guess what? Not anymore. It is not required to have an audited financial statement at the end of the year. But I don't know why you wouldn't. I have no idea why you would not. Because the audited financial statement shows the success or the challenges of your business. Investors want to see that. They're entitled to see that, in my judgment. The capital investor utilizes discretionary investment dollars or deploys from a self-directed IRA. IRA. Let's talk about that for a minute. If you are raising capital, whether it be for one-off deals or whether it be for a fund model, if you don't understand the self-directed IRA model, then you need to educate yourself. Because the self-directed IRA model is wonderful. Why? Because, and by the way, I have contacts with, I do business with self-directed IRA companies all over the country every day of the week. And I speak at a lot of their events. You know why that's so important? It's so important because when you ask an investor to deploy capital into your fund, he never has to write a check. His money's already deployed. You're simply asking him to redirect some of the capital that's already deployed. So if an investor has 10 different, 10 different um, investment strategies going on, there's always going to be one strategy that he's using that's going to produce the, you know, the highest return, and then the second, and then the third. But number eight and nine are ready to be kicked out any time, right? If somebody comes with a, with a better mousetrap and a better, a better concept and a better dividend yield, think about it. So you're just asking him to redirect capital, not to put more capital in the marketplace. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant. Broker provides deal flow. Raising investment capital. All right, so this is where things get really interesting. What does, well, let's put it this way. What's the purpose of the fund manager? Deliver a consistent and conservative dividend yield to the investor. Forget about the Bernie Madoff, high double digits, and all that nonsense. Investors want 8%, 8.5%, 9%, secured by first deeds, first deeds of trust, metro areas, underwritten in a professional manner. That's what they want. You start to get investors who want 14, 16, and 18%. It's the wrong investor. They will run your business for you. How many people have experienced that? Getting the wrong investor. It's brutal. Brutal. So why... So. It just makes your life so much difficult, more difficult. Number one, your job is to deliver a consistent dividend yield, fund or acquire real estate assets, and raise capital. 
That's your job as a fund manager. It's, I mean, it's really simple. Now let's talk about the generating, generating of, of um, how does the fund generate revenue? It's simple. By servicing your loans and servicing your investors. Servicing your loans and servicing your investors. Most people just think it's servicing your loans. You make just as much servicing your investors. You service both. Point and a half on one side, another point and a half on the other side comes out to three points just on servicing and managing. Oh, I was going to wake you up. I was just going to come over there and do one of those things, Sam. <laughs> Love you, Sam. There are three types of revenue models, and don't forget the fees. The three types of revenue models are for the, for the investor, this is for the investor, he can take his dividend yields on a monthly basis or quarterly. I prefer monthly because, well, we'll get into that. I prefer paying the investor monthly. Why? Because you get to talk to the investor 12 times a year, hear his praise, and ask for referrals and ask for them to deploy more money. These people say, well, you know, we, give, we, 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 we pay out once a year. Oh, really? So you're going to talk to your investor once a year. Guess what? There's, there's competition in the marketplace and other people talking to your investor all throughout the year. I want to be talking to my investor at least once a month. And when's the best time to call him? The day you deposit his check into his account. Hey, Mr. Jones, uh, uh, you know, this is Mr. Leonard. Hey, Mr. Leonard, how are you? Hey, listen, did you get that... Uh, $3,642? Uh, yeah, I, I got the answer. Hey, listen, I want to tell you some exciting things we're doing with the fund, so forth and so on. I know you only have 100000 to invest with me, but you know, you may want to invest another 100000 And if you don't, you have somebody at church, somebody at, 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 at work, somebody, a neighbor, somebody you know that might want. Well, actually, I do. You know, I was talking to so -so. People talk. If you pay them money, people talk. You pay them a good, solid dividend yield on a consistent basis, People talk. Agreed? People talk. Make no mistake about that. What do you mean you skip last month's payment? If you ever have an investor say that to you, you're a clown. You didn't pay the investor last month? Quickest way to go out of business. If you tell him he's going to get a dividend yield once a month, you better make sure that on the first of the month that's in the bank. You never want anyone to say, what do you mean you skipped last month's payment? That's a new slide. I love the slide. I don't know if I got much traction on that. You have to respect the grind. The grind is understanding how the process works. Raising capital is so creative. It really is. It's, it, it's the ultimate of creativity because what does somebody really hold on to in their life and are fearful of? The money in their pocket, the money to pay their mortgage payment, to put their kids through school, to buy the car, to buy the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip. Everybody is concerned about that money is very, very important. So when you approach that, and understand that in a way that you have to respect the grind, the grind of doing it, the grind of doing it. And I respect it. When you talk to an investor, believe me, 
You sell the problem you solve, you don't sell the product. We talked just a few minutes ago about the investor that's got 10 or 12 investments. Number eight and nine, guess what? Those investments are up for renegotiation. You sell the problem, not the product. I'm just shocked. Seriously, I'm just shocked at how many people who don't get that. When you sell the product without selling the with, 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 without dealing with the actual problem, your results are a fraction of the potential. When you sell the problem, that means you've had an intellectual discussion with your investor. You understand what his investment strategies are, what he feels comfortable with, what he does not feel comfortable with, what kind of return and coupon rate he's receiving on the investments that he has right now. And then you solve the problem. You solve the problem by giving him options, ideas, concepts, and strategies. You're shaking your head. You get this, right? Well, us old timers kind of get it because we've been through it, right? Right. You solve the, yes. Right. You know what? What part didn't you understand about the microphone? Let's start. What, 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 what part did you understand about the microphone? Marty? Apologize. That's right. You sell the problem you solve. You sell, you, you got to speak up. You, you're saying that you sell the problem you solve, right? Yes. So what do you, well, what do you mean you sell the problem you solve? You, you don't give them a specific property. You don't give them uh... Forget about, okay, good question. I'll see if I can answer it this way. When you sell the problem, what you're essentially doing is you're asking your investor, tell me all the good things about your investment strategy that's working and tell me some of the challenges you have. It's those challenges that you're solving. For the investor. Yeah, or for anything, right? For anything, right? You're always solving their challenge. No one has a 100% foolproof investment portfolio. It doesn't exist, right? Thank you. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Thank you, Marty. I appreciate you uh, bringing that up. Pardon me? Can't hear you unless you're on the mic. 90% of raising capital is simply showing up. If you were to leave today and you had one idea to take away, Julie, I need a little cooler in here. Could you get a hold of them, please? Seriously, need a cooler. 90% of raising capital is showing up. If you, if you leave today with one idea, if somebody asks you, what did you get out of Pipple Conference? What was the, what's your takeaway from it? Hey, baby, you got to show up. You have to show up. If you don't show up, you don't even have a chance. It's like the golfer who's trying to make a putt, okay? Yeah, they call it birdie fear. You know, oh, I'm afraid I, oh, I want to get that birdie. And he's short by this much. I would rather be the guy that's this much past the hole. At least I gave it a chance. Does that, do you understand? Who, how many golfers are here who can relate? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. You show, if you, if you leave the putt short, you're a clown. You didn't even give yourself a chance. 
Go a couple feet past it. That's okay. A couple feet past it. Okay, at least you have a chance. Maybe you didn't get it, but you gave yourself a chance. 90% of raising capital is showing up. That's a deal. That you can take to the bank. What does show up mean? Show up means a lot of things. Show up for the meeting. Show up for the phone call. Show up with the email. Show up with all of your, uh, with, with, with everything you're going to bring. Show up with a good attitude. Show up with a press suit. Show up. Show up. It means a lot of things. But you have to show up. 90% of raising capital is showing up. Boom. Pay attention to the fine print. It's far more important than the selling price. You know who said that? You know who said that? Frank Underwood. Who's Frank Underwood? How many people have seen House of Cards? Is that the, how many people? Is that like the greatest? Claire and Frank Underwood? Oh my God. Anyways, if you haven't seen House of Cards, this little conversation means nothing to you. Pay attention to the fine print. It's far more important to the selling price. The fine print. The fine print is, as I relate to it is, the fine print is show up and make sure you give accurate information and you receive the kind of information back. You ask somebody, how's your business? Oh, business is good. Well, what does that mean? Oh, it's good? Tell me how it's good. When I ask... Brian Byler, tell me about your business. Well, we've been in business in 40 years, and, you know, my dad is the man, and we here's a list of all the projects we've done and so forth and so on. See how I weave that in there? You know, so that we, that's different than saying my business is good. So you've decided to be a big boy. Now what? If you can't explain... Your concept simply, then you don't understand it well enough. If you can't communicate your concept of what your business is in 19 words or less, then you need to go back to the drawing board and get clear on what your business is. Agreed or no? If you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. I get calls all the time. Hey, uh, uh, Mr. Rosen, you know, I'm thinking about coming to the conference. Uh, I will, well, tell me a little about, you know, your business, what you do. And he's on and on and on. And I'm like, you know, I'm drinking a cup of coffee. Uh, I get some more cream in here. I'm drinking. I'm listening. I'm listening. And just eight, nine minutes goes. I still don't know what he's, what he's doing. Right? I still, I, to this day, I still don't know what he's doing. So being able to communicate who you are, what you do, simply, effectively, 19 words or less. If you can't explain your business in 19 words or less, you're a what? Clown, right. Great audience. A fund is useless without capital, right? There's two parts, there's two parts to the private lending industry. What are the two parts? The deal and the money. The deal and the money. Those are the two parts. You can have a beautiful Mercedes sitting in the driveway, but if you don't have gas in that car, it's just a hunk of junk. So you have to have capital and have to understand that. An investor is an investor is an investor. 
What do I mean by that? Investor wants, investors want to deal with honest people that will treat them fairly, that provide a, 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 a reasonable dividend yield, and whether they're an equity investor, a real estate investor, gold, yes? I can't read it. Oh, that's not going to happen. Um, an investor is an investor is an investor. That's the deal. And so we're not talking about persuading someone to invest with us. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm simply sharing what we're doing. Am I talking about rates and terms? No. Am I talking about dividend coupon rates? No. I'm sharing concepts, ideas, and thoughts. Aaron, when you teach jujitsu and I go into your class and you, you're teaching me that, that leg drag pass, I had you show it to me four or five times because it is a concept. It's not a move, it's a concept. Here, you gotta grab here. It's a concept. Well, that's what it is, though, actually. In jujitsu, this is actually common. But I don't want to get, well, you know what? I take that back. The hip thrust in jujitsu, all right, uh, let's stop right there. But you know, what, you know what I'm talking to. It's concepts. I don't want you just to put your hand here, go here. No, it's a, it's a flow. It's a concept. That's, that's what investors want to hear, is that concept. There are two types of investors, one that deploys out of their self-directed IRA and one that deploys out, one that uses their IRA, one that, those are the two kind of investors you're going to run across, okay? Now, this afternoon, we're also going to hear about foreign investors and how to raise investors from foreign investors, which is, which is really interesting. And David Owen's going to be speaking on that. Both investors are looking for the same thing, a safe return and a, a safe investment and a fair return. That's all investor wants, a safe investor and a fair. Look, let me say it this way. Sometimes an investor will say to you, well, you know, I have a real estate fund. Well, how much do I get? You know, what do you pay out? I would never answer that question. Always answer a question with a question. Well, what kind of return are you? Thinking about what, what kind of return have you been enjoying? Because the number one concern with an investor, investor is not how much do I get paid. That's not what it is. Is my hard-earned money that I earned and accumulated on behalf of my family is it safe? Am I going to get that money back? That's number one. Many of them won't say it because they think if they say it that they're impugning your integrity or, or they feel uncomfortable with it. But understand, make no mistake about it. That's what they're concerned with. How safe is my money? Second is, what do I get? that falls under the category of understanding your investor and solving the problem, not selling the investment. What option does the investor have in receiving interest? They can do an income fund where the investor relies on the dividend yield as ordinary income. They can do high yield fund. 
investors are re, they can reinvest their, their dividend yield or a hybrid fund where you do it both. There are four critical steps. Oh, it, I, I gave the punchline. There's four critical steps in raising money. One, ask for the money. I forgot the rest. Everybody, boom! That's it. That's it. Ask for the money. You have to ask for the money. All the number two, three, and four, it doesn't matter. Would you invest with this guy? This guy came to our event about five years ago. Not this specific guy, but he looked pretty close to that. Okay, and he had a fund. We didn't do the fund, but he had a fund. He, he, I forgot where he was from. Doesn't matter where he's from. He should go back to where he was. And he got up on the microphone. He said, well, I have a real estate fund, and I've had it for three years, and I haven't been able to raise one dollar. Now, he said this with 10 of the most experienced fund managers, lenders, and so forth in the country up here. And one of the gals, forgot what her name is, I keep asking, yeah, she was, she was a finalist on The Apprentice, and she was a sharp girl out of Chicago. And she said, you ever think about like putting a suit on it? What she was really going to say, like taking a, taking a shower? Have you ever taken a sales card? Do you understand the psychology? And so, and she basically read them the riot act. Yeah, she's right. You can't show up like this with, without any concept or ability how to deal with an investor. Just because you have a fund means nothing. You have to market the fund. You have to market the opportunity. You have to solve the problem, not sell the product. Investors will not forget how, how you make them feel. Make your investors feel important. How are we doing on time? How much? What time is it? Okay, we're, we're all right. How to prepare for the investor. Marketing to the... Some of this I'm going to kind of go over. It's in your PowerPoint. Look, when you meet with an investor, when you meet with an investor, you have to be prepared. You have to have a copy of the offering. You have to have your PowerPoint presentation. You have to have your ducks in a row. But being negative only makes a difficult journey more difficult. You may be given a cactus, but that doesn't mean you have to sit your ass on it. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I love the slide, and I love saying it. The two things that you can control in your life is your effort and your attitude. If you've got a crap attitude, you know, you can't polish a turd. You know, it kind of is what it is. You gotta, if, if you have an attitude that's, that, that's not right on, guess what? You'll be rewarded with nothing. Rightly so. Rightly so. These are some of the things that you need when you meet with an investor. You need a credible website, testimonials, market analysis, you know, all of that kinds of things. I'm going to kind of go, just kind of go through this. And you have to understand Leonard's four-touch rule. The four-touch rule is, if you meet an investor today, don't ask him to invest with you. Please don't do that. That's a what deal. 
That's a clown deal. You have to establish a relationship, create bonds, find common ground. Before you can even talk, in my judgment, before you can even talk about investors investing capital with you, it's a minimum of four touches. First you meet them, then maybe you have some coffee, maybe you meet the, meet the little woman. Hey guys, come on, work with me. Uh, <laughs> you <laughs> Who else insults their guests who just paid a thousand dollars to be here? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to insult you. You have to you, you have to slow down, be patient. First, have a cup of coffee, meet the wife, talk about their goals, what their challenges are. Maybe they're not even a good candidate for your fund, right? Even if you don't have a fund, but you're you're doing a one-off deal. You want it to fit, right? You don't want to just sell something to somebody that probably shouldn't use it, need it, or want it. So take your time to find out if this is the right guy for you. Most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Listen to your investor. He will tell you how to sell him. It's not magical or mystical. Listen to your investor. He will tell you. He or she will tell you. With no uncertain terms, how to sell them. That's the deal, man. It's not really complicated. The most important element of communication is hearing what is not said. Body language. The way your investor, I mean, if your investor, if your investor is sitting, is sitting at the table like this with their arms folded, you can't even begin to talk to him about investing until he like relaxes and get his, you know what I've done with investors? I go up to him, I put their arms down. I just take it. I said, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath now. Feel better now? Okay. I don't bite. We're just having a conversation. You're not writing me any check today. I'm not writing you any check today. We're just having a conversation. Listen to your investor. And understand that what they don't say is the most important. They won't say, I don't know if I trust you in giving you my capital. I, maybe you've experienced that, but I've never heard it. What I do say is, how, how, does the, how does your business work and how much I get paid? But that's not the real question. The question is, can I trust you? Marketing to the investor. Look, there, there's a lot. I'm, I'm going I'm to go, th- I'm going to pass some of this up because I've already covered a lot of it. When you market the investor, you know, you have to, you have to have all of your ducks in order, clearly. You know, how to find an investor. I mean, look, investors are not difficult to find. You can find investors. Communicate. This is important. When do you think the best time to contact your investor is? When you deposit their dividend yield check every month. I said, well, I, I did a real estate fund for, for, for a guy Ooh, 
laying the smack down, huh? That's Kathleen Rosen, by the way. She's the only one that lays the smack down. When do you think, okay. So I, ha, I did a real estate phone. I says, well, I talked to my accountant, and my accountant told me that if we did it once a year, we would save all the accounting fees for the 11 months. Talk about a small thinker. I'll pay the accounting fees to get this guy's million dollars. Give it to him as fast as you can give it to him. You ever made a promise to your kid and didn't fall through and give it to him on the, the, the day? Try giving a birthday present to your 15-year-old kid the day after his birthday. It doesn't work. You want to make contact and have a reason to contact your investor as much as possible. The day the dividend yield is investor. When you treat your customers with respect, they will do your marketing for you for how much? Yes. Why is Studio 540 so powerful in the marketplace? Word of mouth. Everybody loves it. Great instructors, great vibe, great place to train, right? Same thing holds true with investors. Investors will find you. They will find you, believe me. You don't have to hunt very much. If you've got a solid business plan and you've got good people talking about you, they will find you. Trust me when I tell you that. That is a fact, Jack. I always wanted to say that. What's a capital requirement to create in a fund? 50 grand. That's what it costs. A Subway sandwich franchise with the build-out is 270,000. Quiznos is 300,000. This is 50 grand. I charge 25,000, Hornick charges 25. That's a deal. I don't want to sit here, and I'm not pitching it. I'm just giving information. What does 50,000 get you? Gets you the whole enchilada. Creating a business model and platform with all the supporting players. Why does this business model work? The business model works that when it's done correctly, and it's not that difficult to do it correctly because it's, it's no more work doing it correctly than doing it incorrectly. Real estate goes through phases and trends, but the real estate fund model survives in any market if your underwriting and valuations are solid. That's the deal. If your valuations are solid and you don't screw up, as in like taking the $5 million that you just raised and hop on a plane and we don't see you again. Today, when banks have tighter guidelines, mortgage pools and real estate funds thrive exponentially. That's the deal. Look, are you afraid to do it? Are you afraid to do it? Okay, I can appreciate that. Fear makes the wolf bigger than he is. And everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. And that holds true, that holds true for life as a whole. Fear will freeze you and not allow you to move. Embrace the fear, whether it be for this project or any other thing that you do in your life. Embrace it. That's okay. Nobody goes through life without fear at times, without challenges at times. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the way it works. All right, now, this is what I'm supposed to read to you. From who? 
Who's this from? Right. And here's what it says. Ladies and gentlemen, please be sure to sit in your assigned section. This is a sold-out event. If you need assistance finding a seat, Kathleen is here to help you. The exact same seats you're in are the seats you come back. This is a 15-minute break. The restroom is around the corner. Mr. John Hornick will be our next speaker. Thank you very much.